because this is a very important topic and one that um, I enjoy quite a bit, especially the strategies that we use to ensure that assets are protected, even if, even if you um, are married and you are healthy, but your spouse is not. The most common vehicle we use for that is a trust. Now, the word trust itself is as general as using the word car. It really, the word itself doesn't tell you anything because if you say to me, I want to trust, there still has to be probably a, a 30 minute to an hour conversation of what are you trying to accomplish? Because I, I love the reason I love talking about trust so much is that if I can talk to you long enough, I can certainly make a trust that meets your goals, but that conversation is how I'm going to know what's going to be best for your situation. And that's what makes a specialized firm separate from, from maybe a general practitioner that might just have a document in there. And if you say the word trust, this is what you're going to get, you know, maybe you and, and them alike are not going to really know what it does. So if you're thinking asset protection, especially for long-term care planning, you're thinking you should be thinking an irrevocable trust. Because if you are if you are able to touch an asset or use it for your own uh, purposes, think simple example checking account. If you're able to use it, then a nursing home is able to expect that you would use it to pay for long-term care. It has no protection. I was speaking with a person in Bradford County today, who apparently in that county a few decades ago, someone convinced everyone in town to sign living trusts which, you know, do avoid probate, that's fine, but they are revocable. And a revocable trust has no protection from nursing home care whatsoever because it's revocable, meaning that you, as the one that set it up, can just sign a paper and get rid of the trust and take everything that's in there out. So if you're able to do that, then a nursing home is able to, to force you to do that. That's, and that's why it provides no protection for you. In an irrevocable trust, you don't have the power to reach out and, and just get rid of it. But the way that we craft them at our office is to get you as, as close. We want to maintain some control for you. This is These are your hard, hard-earned assets. So we want to make sure that you're still able to control these assets and still have some say in what happens to it when you pass away, even though they're protected. And so the way we do that is that if you set up a type of trust like this, you are the grantor, you're, you are the one that set up the trust and is funding it. Now, just because it's irrevocable does not mean that you can't be your own trustee. The trustee is the one that manages assets in the trust, make sure that the rules of the trust, for lack of a better word, are respected. Even as your own trustee, if you've got money in there, you're the one talking to the stockbroker. You're the one making investment decisions. You can, if you put your house into a trust, which is strongly recommended to protect it from um, long-term care, um, you're able to downsize. You can sell real estate if you want. You can use that money to buy real estate. All of this is in your hands. The one thing you cannot do in order to maintain protection is be able to distribute assets that you want protected to yourself. So what makes this different than just outright giving it to someone? You know, why, why would you not just, just get rid of it? The reason that this is different is because, well, one, if it's in this trust, you're the grantor and you still get to make the decision of what happens to these assets when you die. Of course, if you gift it now, it's theirs and you have no control whatsoever about what happens to it now or in the future. But then two, we have a role in our trust that a person separate from you, which you get to choose, is able to access these assets. 
So they're not completely off the, off the, uh, off the table. One way to think about that is if you've, you've constructed this trust and there's a back door to it that can access all the assets, a key to that door exists. You can choose who has the key and that person can access, can, can open the door and, and access the assets. The only rule is that you cannot have that key because going back to the theme of protection, if you can go in there and get it, a nursing home can make you. And of course, uh, Medicaid will, will not allow you in the program because there are strict asset limits. So it's the greatest middle ground between being able to have these assets protected, which is the top goal, but then still also having some say in the matter um, and having some control over it. So for example, you can still live in your house if it's in a trust. And some, would, some, some might say, well, if I just gifted it to somebody, they may let me too. But that leads to, to uncertainty because you know these people now, but hopefully we're talking long-term here. And I have unfortunately seen a situation where a person's child kicked them out of their house because that person's child got married and there was a sour relationship with the new spouse. And so they said, oh, well, we own the house. You're out of here. And the answer to that scenario was, yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you don't own the house anymore. So that kind of situation shows why control is still important, even if you can't just, you know, reach in there and, and liquidate everything. The, the trustee, again, like they said, that can be yourself, but the trust protector, so the one that has the power to uh, reach in there and get assets, you can choose who that is. A lot of times it ends up being some combination of your children. Um, I do recommend it being more than one person. So that way you at least have to have two people involved to, to make the decision to get assets out of the trust. Um, hopefully, you know, anyone that you would name in your documents is somebody that you would trust to have this power, but you, you want to reduce the chances that one person um, for whatever reason would have the power to do any financial harm. So if you've got two children, great. Uh, that, that would be a great candidate for a trust protector. But at the end, and, and some people would, you know, rather it not be. Hey, and then I'm not here to judge for your reasoning. That is no problem. But um, it, it, the most important is that it's somebody that you trust to be able to have the power to reach in here if, if needed it. And somebody that you trust that um, even if they are a beneficiary at the end of the day, if you need this money for whatever purpose, somebody that you would trust to be able to reach in there and grab it. So to the question that I, that I mentioned earlier of, well, if this trust, if, it, if, if you can't access it and it's subject to the Medicaid five-year look-back period, well, then why wouldn't I just gift it to my children for a dollar? Because that's, that's a question that I get quite a bit. That's a method that's, that's been used for years. And you know, the short answer is that you, you're not addressing any uncertainties there. So if you gift a, a property to a child for a dollar, for example, what you've done is you have gifted the property. Even if it's a child, you're still looking at a five-year look-back period. You gift it for a dollar, even though, yeah, that there's, there's a dollar consideration. It still counts as a gift. So you're not getting around that part and it gets, it's no longer available for Medicaid. So that's good. But what you've done is you've completely relinquished ownership and control to another person. So my example of, you know, a son getting married and kicking you out, hopefully that's a very extreme example. It's an example that shows the, the type of situation that comes with a loss of not only ownership, but control. Our office describes the, the real damages, boil it down to four situations that you really would have to watch out for with gifting like that. And we call it the four D's and that's death, disability, debt, and divorce. If any of those four things happen to your child, 
um, your house now or whatever you gifted them is now caught up into that. So what if your house is caught up in your son's divorce? Or Lord forbid, what if you have a child pass away? Now your house goes through their estate plan, maybe to their children, maybe to their spouse. And going back to my nightmare example, you could see how bad of an idea that would be. Um, debt, if they have a large amount of debt and they own your house, if creditors start coming in, you're, you know, it's, it's their property, not yours, even if you're living there. Um, and then disability, well, we've talked about Medicaid a lot, and there's a lot of programs for people with disabilities that have asset limits. So by gifting this property to your child, what have you, you know, what issues have you potentially created for them if they need any asset-based um, benefits down the road too? So these issues, yes, it works, but gifting something outright to, to, for, for long-term care planning is really a quick short-term solution to really what should be, as we call it, a long-term care plan. You know, you know it, it'll address your problem, but what other problems may you have created down the road by doing this? So by using a trust to do this, you get all the benefits of asset protection. You still have the, look, the five-year look back, but you're really not going to avoid that either way. Whether, whether it's a child or a trust, but then you still have the control of, of the asset. So you can control, when you set up the trust, you get to say what happens to it when you die, but you can also have the power to change that in the future. You can't do that with a gift. Um, and you can manage it, you can sell it. All of this is true while maintaining that protection. The only thing you're giving up is direct access to the principal amount transferred in. So I see it as the best of both worlds. Yes, you're giving up ownership, but you're not giving up control. Very important stuff there. And also just, just I, I've gotten this question before because I, I have many, many of uh, clients that are charitably inclined and that's a great, great way to be. But people have said, okay, well, what if I just gift it to a charity or you know, just do some really charitable gifting? That's great. I don't want to discourage anybody from charitable gifting, but when it comes to Medicaid, a gift is a gift is a gift. You're going to be looking at a five-year look back period whether it's a trust, whether it's me, if you want, whether it's your child, whether it's your, whatever it might be, your church, your favorite charity, the SBCA, I guess, quick shout out to them, they're a great organization, but either way, you're looking at a five-year look back period. So, and of course, you know, you can do charitable trust. So that's another option. I will not get into that. I'll save you that one, but feel free to schedule a uh, consultation if you would like to really hear, hear me go in about trust. Uh, from all that we've worked with, a, a, a asset protection trust really is the best way to, again, protect while still maintaining control.